Welcome to the very first episode of Innisfil Accelerates, a podcast about the people and technology that are transforming one Ontario town. Today, we're going to talk about work. Technology is dramatically changing the way we work. Fully one-third of Canadians have worked in the so-called gig economy. These informal, usually one-off jobs, usually sourced on the internet, are providing much-needed income, but they're also leaving workers a lot more vulnerable. That's because of limited access to things like insurance and benefits. Essentially, there, there was something fundamentally wrong with the gig economy. That's Daniel Copeland, one of the founders of Spot, an app that's trying to solve those problems. Daniel's co-founder is Darren Perlman. He says the gig economy has eroded the social protections that were once afforded to full-time employees. People weren't able to upskill within it. Over the next 30 minutes, we're going to learn more about Spot and how they plan to change the economy, one worker at a time. You know, I believe that we're operating in this new socio-economy that we're trying to tip the scales back in. So we are providing uh, certain benefits that if a worker is hurt on the job or, you know, they're injured, they can uh, have quick access to short-term and long-term disabilities. But we really don't want to stop there. We eventually want to uh, leverage the power of having many gig workers on our platform uh, with insurance companies to provide additional benefits that workers can opt into at discounted rates. The other side of that is that we are also op offering uh, upscaling opportunities. So we're really invested in the long-term success of all our spotters. So we want to have an extremely high churn rate. And by doing that, we're upscaling workers through a learning management system that we are offering opportunities to enhance their education so that they can go for their longer-term goals. Your competitors really are existing like legacy employment agencies and placement agencies. Can you talk to me about how that model has functioned and why you think the app is a necessary disruptor to that? Yeah, I'll take that one on because uh, I had tremendous experience with uh, different staffing agencies and never really liked any of them because they were all very predatory in nature because that's what the business model calls for. A staffing agency makes money off placing workers and it costs them money to go and recruit new workers. So their model is to keep a worker on their, their Rolodex for life. And so it doesn't pay them to upscale their worker. It doesn't pay them if an employer really has a good experience with that worker and wants to hire them full time. That's why there are these poaching fees. So they've structured their business in such a way that workers are almost stuck working for a staffing agency for long periods of time. Um, their pay is also not instantaneous, that they have to wait two, three weeks, sometimes more um, before they're eligible for their payment. Some staffing agencies make it very hard to collect that payment where you're only able to go into their office to pick up your check. Um, they don't mail it out to you. They don't do direct deposit. And, you know, I, I don't want to blanket all staffing agencies, but in my experience, most of them were like this. And so for us, we didn't want to be a staffing agency. We are that technology platform to solve these issues. Um, people on our spot platform, they get paid within 48 hours. We've been averaging payment within 24 hours. All that we need is that the employer confirms the hours and we're able to execute payments. So there's a quick access to money. And the social impact there is that the workers who need access to this money no longer have to go to a predatory money lender like those that shall not be named, but that charge uh, very high interest rates and that 
you know, get people stuck on them for years on end, paying back that $200 loan that they took one day because they needed to pay a bill. Um, for us, we're disrupting that model because they can sign up for a profile, work that evening and get paid the next day. You know, it's obvious, I think, the benefits to workers rather than going through staffing agencies, as you mentioned, ease of access to, to payments, uh, having some coverage for insurance, et cetera. Why for an employer would I want to use the app rather than going uh, and using the, the staffing agency I've been using for potentially, you know, years or decades? Well, we've crafted the technology that there's just so many benefits to it that it's really, it's on demand, it's just in time, it's flexible workforces, there's no commitments, you get transparency, you get to see why you're a match with a certain person, you get to see, you know, who that person is before they come in, so you can match a picture with a face, it creates for a better experience, not only on the employer side, but the worker side as well, that, you know, they're being greeted at the front door, the uh, warehouse manager or the hiring manager, whoever it is, that requests of the staff, they can see when people are checking in um, because we have that, that geofence time card. We handle all the administration functions on the back end that we're saving the employer's time uh, on administration. Just the technology itself has so many benefits that um, we've also seen um, if somebody needs 10 people, you know, we're able to secure those 10 people usually in under an hour. That's how quickly it fills up. And then our attendance, the people that are showing up, it's near perfect our attendance rate. We're at, uh, I think, a 99.3% attendance rate. Uh, whereas a traditional staffing agency, they're lucky if they can get to an 80% attendance rate. And that's one of the things that employers has call, have called out, that traditional staffing agencies, they don't know who's coming. They don't know if they're coming. And a lot of the times, if they need 10 people, they have to request 12 to get those 10. And if 11 land up showing up, one of them is being sent home without any pay, any pay for that day. And I think also one of the greatest concepts that we have is, you know, the concept of learning while earning, where you can learn a new skill in the morning and earn in the afternoon. So we can do those onboarding, those training, those skills that employers need by shooting videos on site and allowing our, uh, you know, workers to watch those videos before they even get on site. So when they are on site, they are prepared and ready to go. There's no training required by any of the employers. You know, you mentioned the kind of predatory aspect of existing placement agencies. And so too, on the other side is the kind of flakiness of temporary workers that a lot of employers have to contend with as well. And there's something interesting about using an app, being able to review employers, being able to review employees and kind of getting your, your rating up that way to be able to know if this is a flaky business or a flaky individual that you're trying to hire. Just being able to have that rating is, is kind of hugely important, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, really, it holds both parties accountable. It not only holds the worker accountable, but for us, it's really important to hold the employer accountable because we want all of our workers on our platform, being a social enterprise, to be working for great employers. And, you know, if we, you know, identify a worker that or an employer that is mistreating our workers, we don't want them on the platform. We want our workers to have a great uh, experience. And this is where we built the platform all around the worker. And I think if we start off with a foundation of building around the worker, our employers will want to come on because they're going to have a better experience at the end of the day. Can you tell me about your guys' relationship and I guess how that played into the conception of the company? Um, I'm sure you guys, when you first met, were maybe knocking around various ideas, but I'd like to hear more about that that genesis, both of your relationship, meeting, and, and kind of conceiving of this in the first place. How did that all play out? Sure. I guess I'll give a little bit about my background in entrepreneurship, and then I'll let Darren speak a little bit to himself. But you know, from a very young age, I was very entrenched in entrepreneurship. 
I work for a family-run business which developed learning management systems for continuing education. That is, you know, where I got the idea for an LMS system for Spot. Um, after graduating from high school, I, I pursued my uh, commerce degree in finance and then proceeded to law school. Uh, when I was called to the bar, I was hired by the Ministry of Community and Social Services as Crown Council. And, you know, it was really there that I got my first glimpse of the pain that marginalized Canadians on social assistance facing. And so when we talk more about that later down uh, in the podcast, uh, you know, I really knew something had to be done. But, um, you know, prior to starting Spot, I, when, I was, when, when I was current counsel, I really wanted to get back into entrepreneurship. One of the things about being in the government was that it was very painful to make change. And I knew I wanted to affect change and get back into entrepreneurship and being able to mobilize and move a little bit quicker. And so when I knew that Darren also was uh, involved from entrepreneurship in a very young age, he was also exiting his business at the time. Uh, I really connected with Darren because I thought that to have that entrepreneur spirit from a very young age was very important and to have that drive. And so that I knew that Darren and I would be you know, that match made in heaven. So uh, Danny, to give you some context of my background, um, you know, it was a very uh, small retail business that um, I worked in to develop my career, overlapping in both HR and operations. And one thing that I loved about it when I first started, you know, 17 years ago was the problem that we had in retail was coming up with the best succession plan possible. We wanted full-time employees that we could grow into great store managers, great supervisors, and then eventually, you know, district or regional managers. So it was important to have the learning, have a good foundation, put together almost like the university degree to become a master's of denim so that, you know, they could sell jeans. And that's what I loved about it. And that was the culture that we had within the organization. Now, as we know, employer behaviors changed over those 17 years. Uh, when I first started, minimum wage in Ontario was uh, $7.75 an hour, and it slowly started creeping up till eventually we got to the $14 an hour in January 2018. And obviously, that caused pressure on businesses to change their hiring strategies, where it was no longer full-time employees that you were looking for. It was part-time or contract employees because that's how you manage your payroll costs. Of course, that changes the culture of a business because it becomes a revolving door of people. You're not holding onto them long enough because people, you know, they have to get a second, third, sometimes even fourth job to maintain the minimum hours that they require to pay their bills. And for me, that I hated that. I hated watching it. I hated hearing the stories about, you know, if I had to cut somebody's shift because, you know, sales were down 10%. They would come to me and they would say, I don't have enough money to pay rent at the end of the month if you cut the, the three-hour shift that I have. And that just, it, it was a bad feeling to have. So when uh, I was talking to Daniel one day and I was telling him about the pain points of what was keeping me up at night, and he was seeing it from his side of the people that he was helping in the, the MCSS, you know, we realized, okay, there's something, some good that we can get out of uh, this technology by bringing together marginalized communities, the gig economy, creating benefits, creating a learning management system, and setting up people for success by upskilling them and getting them ready for a, a career. And I think, you know, that's, you know, where, you know, vocational service organization partnerships come up because, you know, these organizations are out there helping find marginalized Canadians opportunities every single day. Uh, a lot of them is founded on, you know, a requirement of a minimum of 26 hours 
uh, in order to uh, have funding by the Ontario government. And it's a failed system because, you know, we have identified certain individuals with disabilities who, you know, are able to go out there and work, but are not able to work 26 hours. So what we are trying to do is encourage employers to offer facilities that are more conducive to persons with disabilities. And on the flip side, you know, we are also offering opportunities to their clients so that they can find instant gratification that the, the instant gratification that they're they're always used to. So they can find same day opportunities while they're looking for longer term success with the vocational service organization. So what's coming through strong and clear here is your um, dedication to the more social, socially positive aspects of the business. And that's really what's driving a lot of your decision making. And, you know, language of social good is often part and parcel of a lot of tech startups. How do you think you guys are operating as opposed to, say, other kinds of, of tech startups? What do you think sets you guys apart? Because it's coming across quite clearly that you are approaching things differently than more profit-oriented tech startups. So I think it really speaks to the partnerships that we have formed with um, different social enterprises, different nonprofits, the vocational service organizations, because those are the people that are going to hold us accountable to our social impact. And if we're not holding true to our vision and mission of helping marginalized communities, persons with disabilities, uh, newcomers to the country, then those partnerships will call us out on it. They're going to say, you know, we can't align ourselves with you because you're not true to your word. And so that's the driving force for us at Spot, that we have these commitments to partnerships that we have to go and execute on and help people um, in the long run. So I, I think, you know, we really want to align ourselves with the corporate social responsibility of goals of these companies. You know, they, for a long term, um, you know, always, you know, have the best interest of uh, their company and their social responsibility at heart, but they need that mechanism in order to do it. And so just like, you know, a lot of grocery stores will say, oh, we, we resource responsibly. Well, use Spot as a way to hire responsibly, that we will hold them to that threshold. We've seen a lot of grocery stores and a lot of chains come under fire uh, under recent years in newspapers. Um, that have come on a bad rep for using these predatory staffing agencies because they turn a blind eye to it. But if we promote that social good, if we put a sticker on every single door out there to say, you know, we hire responsibly, then we can hold these um, grocery stores accountable and provide metrics uh, that we can, you know, measure this progress instead of um, just saying we're doing something. Yeah, and it's interesting because you noticed uh, and noted the predatory aspect of staffing agencies. And so, too, there's been a lot of criticism of the way that logistics workers in, let's say, an Amazon, a lot of criticism there as well. It seems like these sort of, let's call them predatory aspects, are built into a lot of the business models. It seems like you're trying to solve for a lot of these issues that seem to be plaguing this, this new economy that's broken out over the last decade or so. I think that's where profits really drive the... the um the decision-making and the way cultures are set up within organizations that to maximize on profits, you've got to minimize your costs. And um, to do that, you know, predatory natures come out as a result, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. Um, but for us, because the social impact drives our business, profits are not the forerunner. And for us, every decision that we make we always think, is this good for our workers? Is it good for the people that we're trying to help? Is it good for our partners that we have? And um, I think Daniel said earlier on, we want really good employers on our platform that are going to treat the workers well. So if 
somebody does come out and are not treating the staff like we would expect them to, they're going to be off our platform. And this is where the reviews also come in. It's holding the worker accountable, but it's also holding the employer accountable. That if an employer is getting bad reviews, it's immediately identified in our ecosystem and it can't be swept under the rug. Um, everybody will see it. Nobody's going to want to apply to those gigs and we're not going to want them posting any more gigs. So it, it will iron itself out. All the bad apples get weeded out eventually. Yeah. I admire that focus on more social responsibility, but at the same time, when you're in a, as a tech startup and potentially relying on, let's say venture capital funding, et cetera, these are people that aren't necessarily that concerned with social good. They're concerned about the bottom line and understandably so. So talk to me about that, um, about how to balance that social responsibility with actually becoming a profitable company that can sustain for the you know years or even decades going forward. Danny, let me introduce you to the mustard sandwich. Um, Daniel and I have been living off those for the last <laughs> two years because that's how you bootstrap. <laughs> it, it was really important for us to uh, bootstrap as long as possible. We still are. We haven't taken on any external funding because... We don't want somebody coming in saying you can't do X, Y, and Z because I'm not going to get a return on my investment. We've spoken to different uh, venture capitalists, um, angel investors as well to kind of get a lay of the land because what does exist out there are social impact investors. And uh, we've been speaking with them to see if, you know, our synergies or our end goals align that we can create those synergies um, because that is the route that we're looking towards. We've also applied for a ton of government grants. It's unique in such a way that the, the technology that we've been developing has really been in the news a lot the last two months. We know that in September, the Liberal government committed $1.5 billion to upskilling the labor force in 2021. Uh, last week, the Ontario Chamber of Commerce came out with a report that upskilling flexible workforces is the number one priority for 90% of their members. So, you know, we have the solution. It's just getting uh, the recognition out there, getting um, people to, to know about us. You know, that's why you know, we're really excited about uh, this podcast here, because you're going to help us spread the word that we, we have the solution. We're going to help out. Uh, we want to help out 175,000 uh, Canadians next year in 2021, putting them to work, getting them introductions to employers, helping them upskill. And, you know, hopefully we land the, the perfect grant for that, that we don't need to take on external financing um, from a venture capitalist that, you know, we can hold true to our mission statement. You know, it's tough working with government bureaucracies. Daniel, as I'm sure you well know, having worked in a government bureaucracy, they can be clunky, they're usually outdated. And with things changing so rapidly, you know, first it was every five or 10 years. Now it feels like every six months to a year. It does seem like the kind of flexibility that the app offers is the kind of solution to that. Getting governments to understand that, I suppose, is another problem altogether. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting because, you know, COVID uh, has presented really unique opportunities to use technology. Uh, I really believe that, you know, we've all been backed into a corner and, you know, we're all scrambling to stay alive. And I think, you know, post-COVID, we're all going to come out on top and the technology uh, has been, you know, the ideal place for us to come up with solutions. You know, um, just for example, COVID-19 has, you know, obviously decimated the labor market and the economic forecast for 2021 is really on everyone's mind. We're not sure if it's going to be a recession or depression. And as unemployment increases, it's going to be a huge problem for the government because it's going to be the marginalized people who are most vulnerable. 
And Spot, you know, really aims to be that flexible solution that can move quickly to find them work and get them paid within, you know, 48 hours. You know, this un- this economic shutdown has been unprecedented. Unemployment is going to be at 13% and maybe even higher. And, and Canada requires companies like Spot to accelerate that skilling up and placement of the right candidates for the job. You know, Spot really decreases the days to finding employment from, you know, the current average of 43 days down to just one day. And, you know, we're coming back to that skills gap of, you know, 60%, we really see an opportunity to reduce that skills gap to jobs that are most in need. Going back to, you know, the Canadian federal government, uh, you know, they noted that the Canada's gig economy, the temporary and short-term uh, employment to fill labor gaps and skills shortages is growing. And they've called for current labor policies and practices to be modernized. And I really feel that Spot app is uniquely positioned to do this. Uh, you know, it, I think back to March of this year when COVID hit, I said, Darren, we, we can't just stand idly by. We needed to step in to assist those industries, you know, in particular, the ones that were having uh, making PPE and face masks and face shields to help them upskill their labor force and provide them the labor to meet that unprecedented surge. And also we help with grocery stores to get grocery orders out because a lot of individuals uh, ended up going online. We should talk more about DMZ Innisfil, which is why we're, we're here. It's a really unique concept. Can you talk to me a little bit about it? First of all, what attracted you guys to, to locating there? Yeah, I mean, I've uh, always had a present, uh, presence in the city of Toronto, but during COVID, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I've basically moved up to Innisfil. Um, we've heard about the DMZ for a long time, and it was on our radar uh, in I think May of this year, I was standing on a golf course when a friend sent to me and said DMZ is coming to Innisfil, and I I just jumped up at the uh, opportunity. Um, you know, both the Yelmer and Kate has been able to provide us, uh, you know, access to community resources at a level you know we really wouldn't be able to achieve otherwise. Um, you know, I, I recall walking into uh, DMZ Innisfil one day, and I. I ran into MPP Andrea and, and other members of the in- Innisfil Council on day one at DMC, and I, I was just really starstruck. You wouldn't really have those opportunities in other areas. Um, you know, being in a small town, there's that certain level of intimacy. You get access to resources that would take weeks in the city of Toronto. Here, if you need something right away, um, you, you can get it. And it's even better than a lot of the other incubators in the city because Again, it's just that level of intimacy. Everybody knows everybody. It's like everyone's your neighbor and willing to help out. And it's been a great place for us to really, you know, start our company. Uh, and, you know, having having neighboring districts like Barrie, uh, a lot of w- warehouses and logistics has been able to get to customers a lot quicker as well. So it's been a really great success. Can you just expand a little bit about the other kinds of relationships you're building there? You don't have to be overly specific, but just give me a sense of how engaging with other people building companies has, has changed the direction of your company. Great example. Um, there, there was another company that sat right across from us that does technology to do the last mile of transportation for workers um, where you know businesses or warehouses might be off the beaten track and there's no public transportation that gets there. Um, so we were talking to them one day, perfect fit. I mean, you know, we, we have workers that are trying to get to these places. Employers are trying to recruit new workers. Let's link up and let's get them that last mile of transportation. And now we were running a pilot project. 
um, to work on that full integration. Uh, we had a, another member of the DMZ Innisfil that operates warehouses and needed access to flexible workforces because they were opening up new warehouses and they hadn't done any hiring yet. So there was another relationship that was cultivated. And um, what Daniel said before, Yelmer and Kate, you know, they are making introductions almost on a weekly basis, if not daily, of uh, local people that, you know, either can make other introductions to us, can help us on the social impact side, or, you know, are, are operating businesses that need uh, flexible workforces. That's a good segue about offering some advice to up and coming entrepreneurs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, what advice you would give to someone just starting out? What have you learned? I would say, you know, do it. Um, you know, don't just say you're going to do it, but go out there and do it. Go out there and interact with your customers, learn what their pain points are, understand if it's a real issue. Um, make sure that, you know, you know, a lot of people will say, no, that's a terrible idea and turn you down, but you just got to pers- uh, uh, persevere. Um, you know, there's always that great uncertainty that, you know, no one knows what the future is holding. But if you're determined, you're positive, and you want to make an impact, people will hear your voice and people will help you. You know, going back to that whole capitalism versus social good, you know, generally people are good people and they will want to help. But, you know, you've got to take those steps and go to that door and knock on it. Because if you don't, it's just never going to happen and you'll live with regrets for the rest of your life. And to that point, Daniel, it has a lot to do with systems, doesn't it? And, and building the system that um, allows, that engenders that kind of cooperation uh, and rather than a more predatory atmosphere. And I think that's what you guys are trying to trying to do is to build that superstructure that encourages this better behavior, right? Absolutely. Um, and it's just really, you know, using that, uh, you know, what we call that agile method, having that fees feedback and mechanism loop that, you know, we're really listening to the customer. And I think, you know, that's another important part is, you know, listening to the customers, not having ears that you're not listening to the customer. Because if you start building something and you have too much assumption risk and that's when you're really going to fail. So my advice to future entrepreneurs is spend a lot of time with your customer, especially at the beginning, learning what their pain points are, learning what their problems and really just listening. And I think, uh, you know, if you do that, um, you know, there, there is this method for success in this madness. Um, and you just got to take yourself to, you know, 20,000 feet. And as long as you can recognize that system, uh, I think there is a, a good foundation for success. Work is changing and not necessarily for the better. The trends that began before COVID have only accelerated over the last year, but there are signs of hope. Spot is trying to change the way companies engage with their workforce, and with the right kinds of support, they will be able to succeed. Innisfil Accelerates is a program sponsored by the town of Innisfil. You can learn more about how they can help support your great business idea at InnisfilAccelerates.com.